He reigns. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Now, if you're going to give him praise, go ahead and give him praise. Amen. He's worthy. He is worthy this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We thank you. Oh, God, we thank you so much. Thank you, Lord. Amen. And if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. I'm going to read a verse. In fact, I'll read two verses. Verses 15 and 16 in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. And I'm reading from the New International Version of the Bible. So we'll read it. Then we can take our seats this morning. This is what it says. Luke chapter 5, verse 15. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Verse 16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Father God, I pray this morning that you would help us to understand what Jesus is doing here, Lord. Help us to understand the, the motivation of his actions and what they teach us today. I pray that the same spirit present to record these things in the first place, that your spirit be here to illuminate our minds to understand in Jesus' name we pray. God's people say, amen. 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 You can take your seat this morning. This is interesting because God tells us something in Genesis chapter 2. And I mentioned it a few weeks back. Genesis chapter 2 and verse, I believe it's verse 18. God says, it is not good for, uh, and in that particular verse, he says, for the man. He's talking about Adam. It is not good for the man to be alone. So God created companionship. He created companionship for that reason. Relationship. He made humanity social beings. We are social by nature. He, God made us that way. We, we can't help it. We need people. People need us, right? A need for others. This is the way God created us. Way back in the beginning, God himself said that it is not good for that man, Adam, to be alone. So he, this is what he, he's done. But here, the most sociable person in the history of humanity, the most sociable person, Jesus Christ, spent much of his time alone. How do you account for that? He spent much of his time by himself, secluded in lonely and desolate places. He would wander off alone by himself. This is what you'd call solitude. Solitude, getting away by himself. Solitude, being alone on purpose. Not alone because, like, you're boring. Not alone because you, you don't have friends or whatever, but to be alone on purpose. Solitude is as much a spiritual discipline as prayer is. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. It's something we train ourselves and, and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, practice so that we grow in. Prayer is, is a discipline, just like fasting is a discipline. It's something we train ourselves to do. 
Solitude is a discipline. Just like a person who runs a marathon, they, they train themselves in diet, I'm sure, you know, uh, uh, exercise, stretching, running, you know, you train yourself, rest, you train yourself. Uh, whoever wants to run a marathon, they do what marathon runners do. They prepare themselves, they train so that when the event comes, that they don't fall flat, that there's something, there's, there's some substance there, some strength there. Solitude is a discipline that prepares you for ministry. It prepares you for people ministry of power and presence that when you enter into that moment when you're with others you come with something you don't come empty you don't come just with nothing to give with nothing in your heart in your mind in your in your hands you you come with something it's a discipline it's a discipline of abstinence to abstain Right, which means that you abstain from others, you draw away from others. The same way that fasting is abstinence from food, we separate ourselves from food for a while, we remove things from our lives so that we can add better things. We, we fast and we abstain from food so that we can pray and, and get a hold of God and we deny the flesh and the flesh is, is growling for something to eat and we're like beating the flesh into submission. Right? If we can't beat the flesh into submission in times of fasting, guess what happens in the midst of the battle when the flesh starts crying out for things that we don't need? We give in. We have to learn to win that fight. And the discipline of abstinence of fasting or abstinence of solitude trains us for those moments. And so it becomes a very important thing in our life of a, of a in the life of a leader especially so Jesus did this frequently the Bible tells us over and over he removed himself from the crowds right in solitude we draw away and our purpose to draw away from people so that we can be alone with God just me and God just you and God without people without the noise so that God can change us. We put ourselves in a place where God can deal with us and, and speak to us. Uh, you know, in, in a crowd, you can say whatever. You can act however. You can be whatever. But when you're alone with God, it's just you and God. And he knows you. And you place yourself in the presence of God so that he can change you. Here in Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, Jesus could have healed a whole lot more people than he did. If you read the story, uh, he could have healed people all throughout the day and all throughout the night. Verse 15 says, yet the news about him spread all the more. So the, the, the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Right, so crowds were coming to where he was. Families bringing their loved ones. Right? Friends bringing their friends. This is what you'd want, right? If, if you want to spread the gospel, you, you want a place where, where people can come and, and they can meet the Savior and, and, and grow and learn and be healed and transformed. We can bring our loved ones and our family members and, and, and friends to, to, to Jesus. This is exactly what you would want. The potential for mass salvations. The potential for mass healings 
here in this place. But Jesus chose to separate himself. He says, okay, uh, that's it, I'm done. And, and can you imagine the next person in line? What are you talking about? Other people coming down the road, running. They say, it's really, it's true. Someone is here healing people. People walking away full of joy, excitement, throwing their crutches away. And, and, and those rushing to the scene and Jesus saying, okay, I, I'm, I'm gone now, I'm out of here. And he walks, he walks away. In the midst of all that momentum, Jesus chose to separate himself, to stop and to separate himself. And this was his routine. This is what supplied Jesus, I believe, with the power to meet the masses in the first place. Where does he get the strength, the stamina to meet these people, right? He took the time to regroup, to meet with the Father. He took the time to refresh himself. He healed and transformed lives in, in miraculous ways. Then he says, okay, he knew himself. Okay, I need to stop. Let me go away for a while with my father. Without the disciples, without anybody else, just me and the father. Solitude is a state of being alone, not lonely. That's different. Being alone with God, by yourself with God. And not often do people spend time alone on purpose. Solitude is getting away so that God can change me. Prior to his ministry, Jesus spent 40 days alone in the desert. Before he chose his 12 disciples, he spent the entire night alone in the desert hills, the Bible says. Before he walked on the water, during the storm. Like, if you're going to walk on water, I would probably want to choose the, the most still, you know, a body of water without waves and wind. But when he walked on the water during the storm, he was alone in the mountains. The very reason why he wasn't in the boat with his disciples is because he had separated himself. And when he came down from the mountain, he walked on the water. After feeding the 5,000 people, he commanded his disciples to leave. Then he dismissed the crowds and he went up into the hills by himself. When he received news about the death of John the Baptist, he withdrew to a lonely place. In Mark chapter uh, 1, verse 35, after a long night of ministry to people, the Bible says that early in the morning before the sun came up, he went out to a lonely place, again, by himself. When his disciples returned from preaching and healing, he instructed them, come away by yourselves to a lonely place teaching them the same thing, same principle. After healing a leper, in preparation for his transfiguration on the top of that mountain, in preparation for his work on the cross, he separated himself. He was by himself, alone with God. Jesus prepared himself in solitude. Jesus, for Jesus, there was a time when the crowds need to go home, right? Yeah, it's fun. We, we, can, we can party all night. Hey, but it's time for you to go home. I need to get with the Father. And the Bible tells us that in these moments of solitude, that angels came and ministered to him. 
Twice the Bible reveals, what is he doing in those moments of solitude when nobody is watching him and he's all by himself? Well, it tells us once in, in Matthew and another time in, in Luke that the angels came and ministered to him. They came and strengthened him. When he was tempted and, and, and the, uh, the devil was tempting him to, to turn stones into bread and, and he was hungry and, and the devil was pounding him with thoughts of, of doing what he, he had vowed not to do. He was there to fast, to separate himself. And there the devil was to meet him, to work on him, to try and bend him, bend his will through the flesh. Angels came and strengthened him, the Bible says. That's, that's what happens in his away time. Jesus loved the crowd, but he was not in love with crowds. He wasn't seeking the limelight, the spotlight. There were many times that he found it necessary that in order to put on my best public self, I need to get a hold of my private self. Who am I when nobody is around? I need to get with God. And if I can get with God, I am better in the public. I am better among people. Too many people today are not the same in church as they are when they're by themselves. Right? Too many people are fake in fellowship because they have not yet found themselves in solitude. They haven't found themselves alone with God. They, they frequently, uh, you know, hang out with, with others and frequently find themselves surrounded by noise and activity and rarely at the altar, rarely in solitude alone with God. But what made Jesus so incredible in the presence of people is that much of his time was spent away from people, away from them, alone, not to avoid the presence of people, not at all. That's not what he came for people, not to be away from people. On the contrary, it was to better prepare himself for the presence of people. So last week I said we are better in the presence of people if we can control our tongue. Well, this week, we're better in the presence of people when we learn to be alone. Now, I'm not talking about being lonely. Being lonely and being alone are two different things. A person in a crowd can be lonely, even though they're not alone. You can be in a crowd and be lonely. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He said, let him who cannot be alone beware of fellowship. If you can't be alone, what, what do you offer in a group? And he goes on, he says, and let him who is not in fellowship beware of being alone. Those who want a fellowship without solitude plunge into this world of, of empty words. I, I just want to be with people to talk and to, and to say things and to, and to be in the noise. Empty conversation, having nothing to contribute. Because they haven't been with God, where God fills me, where angels minister to me, so that when I show up, man, I have something to give to others. Jesus was empowered for the crowds because of his solitude. Then there are those who seek solitude without fellowship, right? And then they imprison themselves in vanity, in self-infatuation. I just want to be by myself for myself's sake and just for me. That's the perpetual loner. 
who never becomes what they ought to be because iron is supposed to sharpen iron, but you have no iron to sharpen you. You're just by yourself, alone, somewhere away from others. If you want to be with others in a meaningful way, we have to learn how to be alone in a meaningful way. But we also learn to seek the fellowship and accountability. That's important. Fellowship and accountability of others. That way we can be alone safely. One of the cardinal rules in our ministry, if you've been around for a while, you know this. One of the cardinal rules in our ministry is to never be alone. Always have somebody with you, you know. That's like a taboo. You by yourself, brother? Why, you know? What you doing? <laughs> what you doing you don't want nobody to know about? Right? And, and, and rightly so. It's a, it's a good thing, especially if that old man is still alive. If the old man is still alive within us, we definitely need a second pair of eyes to keep watch and make sure that we're on the straight and narrow. We definitely need somebody to watch us, to be with us. But this isn't what the Bible is showing us here in Jesus's life. We need to cultivate, cultivate both fellowship and solitude. The fruit of solitude is deeper and more robust presence with other people, more durable fellowship, more meaningful fellowship. It's like fasting from people, fasting from people. I don't know if you've ever fasted for a long period of time. And, and I'm talking about food. When you fast from food for a long period of time, you learn to appreciate food. I, I remember the, the last time this a long period, a long fast. See, after the first day, the first day you're hungry, right? You go without eating for a day, you start getting hungry. The second day, it's like you're starving. You know, you're starving. You want to eat. And I remember the third day, somebody brought a bowl of peanuts and put it on in the office on a on the on the desk there. And this is a group of people that never share their food. And I was like, lion devil, you know. Here's this bowl of beautiful peanuts, you know? And I just sit there like looking at it like, wow, you know? After three days of fasting, you know, it's like, man, man, that looks beautiful. You know, it looks wonderful. And I'm like looking at it and, and, and wondering, how come nobody's eating these things? You know, and the devil's like, go ahead, nobody knows. You know, and this is a place, like I said, they don't share their food. You open the refrigerator, there's one of those signs that says, Never mind the dog, beware of owner. And it's like a, a gun like this, you know, don't touch my food. But all of a sudden, when I'm fasting, here, here's this bowl of, of peanuts, free. You know, go ahead, take as many as you'd like. After three days, man, you're hungry. You learn to appreciate food. What fasting does is it detoxifies us from our, our need from frivolous eating to eat just to eat. You learn to appreciate the little you have. I, I, I began to appreciate, man, you know, peanut butter and jelly dinners, you know. I appreciate on pumpernickel bread, you know, praise the Lord. Thank you, Debbie, you know. This is good. Fasting reveals what we're dependent on. The strongholds in our lives. So imagine fasting for a moment from people. 
And all of a sudden begin to appreciate, man, you know what, if I was, if I was in that conversation that I had last week, man, I, I wouldn't have said what I said. I, I, if, I would have, if, if I was, man, if I was back in that other conversation, man, I, I would have responded to what brother so-and-so said with compassion. I, I think I would have heard him better. I think I would have been more present with others when we've fasted from others. Fasting from people helps us to appreciate being with people. The concept of being present is real. That's a real concept, to be present. That's what the incarnation is all about. Jesus incarnated himself. He came from heaven. He is God himself, and he took all of his godness, and he, he took it off and laid it down and came to earth in manness, as a man, as a human to be present with us, to walk with us. And even when he was among us, the perfect man, he sought time away so that when he was present with those that he was present with, it was meaningful. It's real. There comes a new freedom to be with people when you've learned in the silence of solitude. There's a new attentiveness in conversation you hear things that you wouldn't have heard before. It's like, man, that bowl of peanuts, man. I, I just like, wow, they look so delicious when you're hungry. When you, when you fasted from people, all of a sudden being with people takes on a new meaning. It takes on a new meaning, a new attentiveness in conversations, a new responsiveness in the presence of people's needs. When you hear what they really are saying, you listen, you, you hear what they're really saying, you can respond with something appropriate, something meaningful. Thomas Merton wrote, it is in deep solitude that I find the gentleness with which I can truly love my brothers. The more solitary I am, the more affection I have for them. It is pure affection and filled with the reverence for the solitude of others. Then he goes on and says, solitude is silence. And then he prays this prayer. He says, teach me to love my brothers for what they are, not for what they say. And what he's getting at here is that being with others, he learns to listen. Not to all that they're saying, because people will say things, but I hear beyond the words. I hear the man. I hear the sister. Like Jesus, I believe that we must go away from people so that we can truly be present when we are with people. But there's a balance there. If you've ever been away from your children or your spouse for a long period of time, I, I have, and been away for a long period of time, you go away on a trip or something, and your children and your spouse, they're just on your mind all the time. And you can't stop, I know, I can't, can't stop thinking of them and, and I start asking myself, man, why am I here? I should be with my family. You know, what are they doing right now? And you, you love them and you want to be with them and you start making vows. Man, if I, when I get back, I'm going to take them to the park every day. You know, Disneyland on the weekends, you know. I'm going to take my wife to the finest restaurant in the food court at the mall, you know. I remember when my, my wife went to Holland with some, some of the sisters in the church uh, years back, and 
she went away, and, and I thought, you know, right about now, she's probably missing me a whole lot, you know. <laughs> she's missing me right now, so I called her. I was like, hey, babe, you miss me? <laughs> and she said, who is this? <laughs> and I, I was shocked, you know, I was like, and I, so I paused a little bit, and she said, Gary, stop playing around. If you need paper towels, they're in the closet in the hallway, you know. She hung up. For some of us, the fear of being alone drives us to noise and crowds. When we're alone, we walk into an empty, quiet house. We turn on the TV just to turn it on, just for the noise, just for the movement. The, the, the music, we turn it on. When we're by ourselves, we have to listen to something, see something, do something. We, we search for voices. We connect the Bluetooth. Whatever it is that fills the quietness with stuff. We have to be surrounded by stuff. In John 7, the Bible shows us that even Jesus' brothers tried to push Jesus into the limelight. When it was the Feast of Tabernacles, and Jesus was trying to stay away on purpose. The Bible tells us he was purposely staying away. But his brothers, his brothers said to him, in John 7, 4, no one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, and they were talking about his miracles, since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. And this is where Jesus replied to them, the right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. Can you imagine Jesus telling well, for you, yeah, you can do it if you want. You go ahead, I'm not, right? That's what he told them. And, and then a few uh, scriptures later, he, he told them, you go to the feast, I am not yet going up to this feast because for me, the right time has not yet come. So my point here this morning is to make it your routine to find solitude with God, to be alone with God. We need God more than we need people. And people need God more than they need you. We need to make it our practice to get alone with God. So solitude is a choice to be alone for the purpose of getting closer to God and people. To those who serve as leaders, I'd like to say to you that people will only go as deep as you are, right? They, they may not go as, as far as you go, but they can only go as deep as you go. And this is the unspoken covenant of relationship. Deep calls to deep. Where are you? And where do you expect people to be? What, how far do you go? How deep do you get with God? And do you expect people to go far beyond what you are able to go yourself, especially if you're leading them as a parent, as a leader? So let me just leave you with a couple of things here this morning. Number one, deepen yourself for the sake of others. Deepen yourself. And it doesn't happen in the crowds. It happens when you're away from the crowds. Deepen yourself for the sake of others. Number two, unplug for a moment. Make it a habit to unplug. You know, the most unfair thing in our society today is that uh, we have smartphones, you know, that wherever you are, 
Everybody in the world can get a hold of you. Not only can they get a hold of you, they expect for you to be gotten a hold of, right? They expect, if, I, if they text you or call you, they expect for you to respond that very moment. Why didn't you call me back? Why didn't you tell, I know you're there, hello, 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 you know, over and over, okay, Debbie, you know, and <laughs> unplug for a moment. Be alone for a moment. How, how did we survive before the cell phone? How, how did we survive back in the day? Right? We did. Somehow, we did. Sometimes we need to unplug for a moment. Learn to say no. There was a theologian that says, hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. The constant nagging phone calls, the, the little ding that tells you that you have to read a text. Learn to be silent for a moment, to separate for a moment. It'll do you and others some good. And number three, practice listening. Practice listening. Without silence, there's no solitude. There's no solitude without silence. Silence puts us in a place to listen. It puts us in a place to listen. So, so it becomes more than just the, the absence of noise. It focuses our spiritual ear on God. When we're with people, we hear what they're saying and we respond to their, what they're saying, but it takes us deeper than just hearing the voices. When we hear the person, the subtle nuance of, of the cry in their life, the need in their life, the Bible tells us that even in a smile, the heart could be in, in grief and in despair, that, that we hear something more than what we see. So practice listening. It develops our spiritual ear for God. Amen. Can you do that this, this morning? Can you do that this week to make it a point to deepen yourself in the absence of others? To unplug for a moment, learning to say no, not to be in hurry, to slow down for a moment. And some, someone said, well, you know, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I'll, I'll do that on Sunday mornings, Friday nights, and I will, no. That's when you regroup. That's when you come with something for others. You, you know, one of the things that I do, and this is just to share, one of the, when I come to church, and I heard Randall say this on Friday night, when he comes to church, he comes prepared to give. One of the things we do is we give. I come prepared to worship, to pray. But I, as a leader, as a pastor and a leader, I always come to church prepared. I might have to speak. I might have to preach or share or teach. So I come with that in mind. I show up to church with that in mind. I come so that I'm not caught off guard in a moment where, hey, you know what? This happened. You got to do it. You know, another thing that I come thinking about, I think about this. What if there's some demonic person? I have to cast out a demon. How do you prepare yourself for that? What do you do? What, what exercises you push up? What do you do? to prepare yourself for something, but I come thinking that if it happens, what kind of event can take place at church where you find yourself at a loss to meet that need? When we separate ourselves and listen, that is what it prepares us for, the unexpected. God sees ahead of us. God knows what we need. And so we go to him and say, okay, God, uh, 
what next? What's the plan? Where do I need to change? How do I need to prepare myself? And in those times of silence, if you're in the presence of God long enough, deep enough, and it may not take forever, just long enough to, for all the noise in our minds to settle down, then we begin to hear the voice of the Lord where we're broken in the presence of God, where things begin to change in our lives, where all of a sudden the things, the, the reality of what matters, the appreciation of people, the appreciation of our relationship with God, it begins to well up inside of us. And when we walk into that fellowship, that group of people, man, we enter into that place ready to share what is meaningful, ready to give, not just to take, to give something that is of value. Amen. Will you stand with me this morning? Bible says that Jesus withdrew himself, that he separated himself in the midst of the crowd, in the middle of perhaps one of the most effective ministry campaigns. And he separated himself to be alone with God. Father God, I pray this morning that you would help us. Help us to be present with others because we have spent time with you. I pray that our moments with you would be like class time. Class time for life. Class time for, for the day, for the week for the crisis that others find themselves in, that we be uh, the balm, the healing, that we be uh, your, your tool for intervention, for help, that we're not at a loss, that we're not at a loss because we haven't come to the Father who reveals all things. You, you do nothing without revealing your intent and purpose with those you love. So, Lord, help us to make it a practice for the betterment of our fellowship to find time alone with you. In those times alone with you, Father God, you reveal to us things we would not have seen. You say things to us to tune our ears to things we would not have heard. You make us better for others, Lord. That we're not the center of attention, that we don't have to be. That we're not looking for the limelight, we don't have to. But somehow our presence makes a difference in our families, among our friends, in fellowship, in ministry, because we've been with God, we've spent time with the living God. So I ask this this morning, Father God, for each of us, Lord God, 
that we be ambassadors of the presence of God, ambassadors of his grace, having been changed ourselves so that we can extend ourselves to others. This is our prayer this morning. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And you know, with our heads still bowed and our eyes closed, I'd like to, I'd like to say a prayer for salvation. For salvation. To know God. To be forgiven of our sins. Sin is like a prison that locks us into a pattern of life that is inescapable. There is no escape. The only key that releases us from the prison of sin is salvation, is Jesus Christ himself. And this morning, he'd like to come to you and release you from whatever it is that has you trapped, that has you bound. His power is able this morning to set captives free. And right now, if that's you, and you say, you know what? I need to be set free from a life of, of sinfulness. I need to be set free from a pattern. I need to be set free from things that have controlled my life. I'd like to pray for you this morning. And I'd ask for you to repeat after me. Just repeat these words, Heavenly Father, I know that I have sinned, but this morning I come to you and I ask you to forgive me, transform my heart and my mind. I repent and I accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. Jesus entered into my life and set me free. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Father God, right now, lift the burden. Lift the burden. Shatter the shackles, the chains, my God. Those patterns, the lies of the enemy, the lies that have been reinforced through the words of people. My God, I pray, shatter the lies this morning and set the captive free. Speak new words, my God, of hope, new words of grace, Lord God. I pray that the world changes around them, that you would move in their lives, refresh them, my God, with living water, bubbling up, my God. Let them bear fruit, my God, the fruit of repentance, oh God. Lord, do a work in their lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You know, this morning, if the Lord has spoken to you, maybe you say, you know what, man, I need to be better in the presence of others. God, help me to take the time. Help me to find the time to be alone with you. Meaningful time just to sit alone, just to talk with you for a moment. Aside from my prayer time, aside from just to walk with the presence of God, just to be in the presence of God. Lord, help me to be better in the presence of others because I have spent time with you. If that's you, come. Come to the altar this morning. God is here for you. Hallelujah.